The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. In our school guidance online, we have always stated that masking is not required when the following is met. Specifically, where two meters is not possible between desks, the greatest possible spacing is in place. And if two meters cannot be arranged between desks or tables, students should be arranged so they are not facing each other. For example, they should be arranged in rows rather than in small groups of four or a semicircle. That way, if a student coughs or sneezes, they are not likely to cough or sneeze directly on the face of another student. Non-medical masks are not required while students are seated in the classroom during instruction if following the physical distancing guidance that I have just articulated. This has been part of our school guidance for several weeks. If close contact between students or students and teachers or staff is occurring as a result of non-seated classroom activity, in this case, non-medical masks should be used for the duration of the activity. The intention is to allow students a break from mask wearing in the classroom when they are seated and not facing each other and desks are spaced as widely apart as possible. This is not new. There she is, Dr. Dina Hinshaw, clarifying a health order signed by her over the weekend that says students will not be required to distance themselves from one another when seated at their desks in classrooms when they return to school this week. So this order uh, was released this weekend uh, without notice, and it says that an operator of a school does not need to ensure that students, staff members, and visitors are able to maintain a minimum of two meters distance from every other person when a student, staff member, or visitor is seated at a desk or table. Kind of going against what we've all been talking about for the last few months when it comes to social distancing. So, of course, now this is raising some alarm bells as you know, parents are sending their kids back to school as of yesterday in a lot of places. Uh, so let's get the latest on how to keep your kiddos safe when they return. Is this, is this okay? Is this health order safe enough we'll, we'll get your thoughts on it too we'd love to hear from you 780-496-0063 you can send me a text um right now though chatting with our next guest uh jason tetro who of course i mentioned earlier uh is a friend of i think every show here on 6 30 ched uh, i've spoken to him many times he's a microbiologist host of the super awesome science show author of the germ code and the germ files uh he can answer i think pretty much any question that i've ever been able to throw at him so if you've got one for him that's covid related 780-496-0063 Jason, good afternoon. Thanks for joining me. Uh, it's always great to be talking with you. I wish that we were talking about something else. I'm not going to lie. I, <laughs> I mean, kind of getting ready for this conversation, I thought, like, what haven't I asked Jason? So I guess let's just sort of start with where we're at right now and what, what everyone is talking about as kids going back to school and how to keep them safe. So this this order that's now been signed by Dr. Hinshaw, and of course you heard the audio clip there of her kind of clarifying what it means. Is this something that we need to be concerned about? Does this mean that kids are going to be crammed next to each other? and therefore unsafe when they go back to school? Well, I mean, even back in the beginning of August when these guidelines first came out, uh, and I have it right in front of me, it essentially was saying that uh, physical distancing is a useful public health measure to help prevent the spread of disease. But there was no real um, sort of... um, 
explicitness in the language that was pretty vague. And of course it said, well, if you can't arrange for two meters, then, you know, put the desks a certain way, don't have them facing one another, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact is, is as we were getting closer to the school year, it became very obvious that that particular part of the guidelines may not necessarily be met. And more importantly, if it's not being met, it's going to end up with people protesting, revolting, and getting really, really, really upset at principals. And it's not really their fault. So putting out this Section 15 of this particular order essentially is trying to tell the public that, look, this is what we said all along. Don't blame the principals. Don't blame the school boards. We're the people who actually developed this. And I think now that that's in place, we have to start thinking about the reality that we may end up not having two meters of distance. So we got to start talking about the other factors that are involved, the ABCs of COVID prevention, as I like to call them. Which, once again, are... So A is for airway. You're going to protect your airway the best way that you can. If you can't do the physical distancing, you can probably wear masks. And if you can't wear the mask, then you're going to use the hand hygiene and, you know, do the side eye so that if you do see anybody who's sick, you want to try and avoid them. B is bubble. If you're in a bubble, your homeroom, whatever it may be, stick to it. Always make sure that you're around those people. And C is for your cohorts or contacts. And that is, you know who they are. And if you're going to mix cohorts or you're going to have contacts with other people, know their name know who you're talking with so that if there is for any unfortunate reason an actual case that's identified you'll know how to be able to trace it yourself without having to worry about alberta health services i mean that all sounds well and good but i feel like at this point everyone is just so over this jason are people (laughs) do you think still abiding by these rules and these protocols (sighs) You know, that's the one thing I get such a kick out of. And I always talk about a pandemic timeline. And around July, we start to see that reduction in cases. We start to think, nah, we probably don't need to worry about this anymore. And then that's when the cases start to rise. But what's really interesting is that if you start looking at the data and you look at it really, really closely, what you find is that unlike what was happening at the beginning with April and May, where we had those huge amounts of spikes, huge amounts of cases, these ones are happening in a very different age group. It's the 20 to 40s. So you got your cynical spreaders. You got your people who don't think it, you know, they need to worry about it. You got the people who essentially say, you know what, I can go out and party. It's only one night. I'm never going to catch COVID. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what's going on. And more importantly, it's happening in private. So what you're seeing is people are wearing masks when they're out on the street, in the stores, in the malls, all that type of thing, even in the movie theaters. And that's all well and good. But then you go to a party down the street and you go in the backyard, which is the size of a postage stamp, and nobody's wearing a mask. Right. There you go. So is that, is community spread kind of a good indicator of what could potentially happen in schools with that same sort of idea of some people are following the rules, some people aren't necessarily, but kind of behind closed doors, people are being a little bit more lax? Yeah, and that's really why that type of of arrangement or, or order has been put out by Alberta Health Services and Dr. Hinshaw, because at the end of the day, we can only do so much to be able to make sure that students are doing their part in helping to prevent the spread. However especially with the older uh, children, we may see them just simply, eh, I don't care. 
oh, give me detention, I don't matter, or, or right. you know, give me a late slip or something along those lines. And so as a result of that, we may not be able to fully enforce the mask laws without, you know, having to go to suspensions, which is the same sort of deal as getting a ticket for a bylaw offense, which, you know, is not happening. Right. So at the end of the day, you know, it really comes down to everybody's got to play their part in making sure that we deal with this virus. And those who are not playing their role are going to show up in the statistics. But more importantly, they're going to show up on everybody's bad column and, uh, you know, get yelled at, screamed at, told bad things about and tough. So realistically, then, you know, we'll, we'll see some numbers, we'll see some outbreaks in some schools. Is it something that we should be worried about or is it is it likely going to be, you know, maybe there'll be a couple of cases and then those students will stay home, quarantine. It will be a burden on the family. But do you think that we'll be seeing mass outbreaks in schools that are going to cause huge shutdowns? What I'm hoping for is that we're going to see something along the lines of norovirus. And, I, I, you know, whenever we've had a norovirus outbreak, whether it be in a school or whether it be in a restaurant or something along those lines, we have localized or, or, or um, you know, specific compartmentalized closures. And then though that way we can make sure that the people heal, we can make sure that, you know, the virus is taken care of and then we can get back to normal. This is going to be the same case, I'm hoping, with respect to schools. So if we do see a COVID case show up in, say, homeroom A, then the other homerooms, B through, you know, Q, can probably still come back to school. But homeroom A, the children who are in that particular bubble may have to either be monitored or stay at home for a certain amount of time. And I know that that's going to put a kink in the overall educational process. But again, we do have some experience with online learning. And so we can actually develop this um, uh, sort of hybrid concept. And it's been done in other countries. So, I mean, this isn't something that's new. Yeah, is there somewhere that we can look to and say, this country's doing a great job, this country not so much? Like, are, are there little bits and pieces that we can kind of take from other places that are succeeding? Yeah, Estonia. Swear Estonia? To God. <laughs> Estonia. And if you look at Estonia, they have had a fully online program for like ever. And the whole idea is that if you can come to school, yay, come to school. If you can't come to school, then it's right there online for you. Oh. And what's really funny is that, believe it or not, this actually used to be the case in Ottawa at Carleton University. They had a Carleton University TV. So all the courses were on television. So if you didn't want to go in for whatever reasons, I'm not going to get into that. I won't judge. Then you could actually take the course while you're at home by watching the television. Which is something I think a lot of people would likely adopt. I mean, we're all kind of used to virtual meetings and virtual work in a lot of ways. I mean, maybe, well, and maybe that not, could actually work. I know, but it's, it's not even that. I mean, how are we watching NHL games right now? We're using closed-circuit television that's being shown on all of our networks, right? Yeah, you have closed-circuit television within the classrooms, and then that way, whether there's a kid in there or the kid is at home, they're still going to learn. And I think in that context, it gives us that opportunity to have a buffer so everybody is learning, everybody is gaining that education. The only factor that's missing is whether or not you are there, and that's as a result of COVID-19. And once we get into the, you know, the vaccine and we get to a point where we actually have the ability to get to that herd immunity, then we won't have to worry too much about it. But in the meantime, let's put it in place. Hmm. 
And I mean, that. what what do you think are the hurdles there to, to be able to put something like that in place? Well, it, it really comes down to just the amount of time that's necessary to be able to put in the cameras and to put in uh, the, 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 the feeds so that people can just log in and then eventually, you know, um, just watch the class, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so you've got a little bit of problem in terms of uh, the logistics of getting that in there. There's the operational expenses that are going to come with that. You've got to make sure everyone's got the, you know, the proper uh, high bandwidth uh, internet lines, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, it's going to be worth it. And, I mean, it's going to be a, a, a fantastic way of being able to look at how we can school in the future as well, regardless of whether or not there's a pandemic. Yeah, I, I think you make a really good point. You know, it's it's something that maybe we could we could invest in putting the infrastructure in now, and then as we move forward, as you, as you mentioned with Carlson University, for whatever reason it is that you don't want to go in or can't go in, mm-hmm. you're still able to learn, so you kind of lose, lose that excuse of not being able to participate. Um, so, okay, before we move on, I want to ask you about vaccines a little bit too, uh, but just, I guess, the overwhelming message then, do people need to be, should should people be scared to be sending their kids to school, in your opinion? At this point, no. Okay. Okay, I appreciate that. No, you, you you can actually send your children to school and, you know, there is safety in place. The only thing they have to realize is that um, once the virus does show up, if it happens to be within your bubble, then you are going to have to monitor. But I mean, it's been like that with every other virus for the last, you know, however hundred number of years. So at that stage, if you haven't been used to the idea of kids being homesick, then, you know, yeah, you have to get used to that. Okay. Okay, now, a couple more questions. Are you sick of talking about COVID, or are you, are we, you still got some steam? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like this must be, like, you're in your, your glory days right, right now with so much to discuss as a microbiologist. Um, okay, so when it comes to a vaccine, yeah. um, we're trying to, of course, rush one, right? So the, the head of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration said he would be willing to bypass the normal approval process to to authorize a vaccine, um, as long as officials are convinced that you know the benefits of away the risks. Russia has already granted regulatory approval to a, to a vaccine after not a whole lot of time um, testing it on humans. So I think that's making a lot of people now in the West question its safety, question its efficacy. Is that a good place for us to be in when it comes to talking about a vaccine? What are your thoughts on where we're at right now? Well, basically we're in Canada and right now Canada is going to go through the full phase three process before it does any approval. So we're in a good place. Uh, not to mention we have a uh, uh, I think it's five companies now that we're working with to be able to make sure that those phase three trials are seen to their conclusion, and then they, we do get that approval. Uh, when you're talking about Russia, China, and now even you know what the United States is suggesting, uh, this is sort of going back to the old days where once you got to a point where you thought, okay, this actually is working, then let's go to some place where there's a whole population that is susceptible and start giving them the vaccine to see whether or not it you know gets rid of it, uh, and then we'll just register adverse events. We'll register any kind of problems with efficacy, you know, uh, and, and, you know, and we're not going to worry too, too much about that. Um, that. That's the old way. The new way is essentially you have a target population that's fairly large, but you're always making sure that they're monitored. In that way, if there are any adverse events or if it's not as effective as you might think, then you can, you know, either pull the trial or essentially say, okay, we need to retweak some of what, we've, what we're doing. Um, 
I, I prefer that, to be honest with you, because huh. I would, you know, we already live in a world where all the other vaccines are hated by about like 10 to 20 percent of the population. The last thing I want to do is give them reason to continue hating vaccines. Right. Yes, that's a good point. Is there anything in place right now, say someone wanted to participate in one of these studies? Can you can you be given COVID to, to participate and then get, you know, a trial vaccine to see it, its efficacy? Is that is that something that exists right now or is that still kind of something that's like just a conversation? Um, as far as I know, the challenge trials are still in conversation because we still have to get the ethics right of giving somebody COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this go- harks back to like the 50s, uh, 40s, 50s and 60s, where they would literally have papers that said, um, you know, uh, challenge trial of humans with blank rhinovirus, norovirus, you name it, virus. Um, When you're doing it with the common cold or something that's going to make you sit on the toilet for three days, eh, it's not so bad. When you're doing with with something that potentially could alter your vascular system, yeah, you're getting into a real weird uh, ethical zone here. So I think we should really let the uh, ethical people figure it out and then identify how we're going to be able to develop that challenge trial before you sign up for anything like that. I think you make a really good point about the fact that this is still unknown, and I think we we tend to forget that in our... um in our desire for this to be over, you know, mm-hmm. that there's still a lot of unknowns in terms of how it could affect you long term. Um, I think that's a, an important message to reiterate. Oh, yeah. And COVID-19 is really, I mean, you know, you've heard of weather bombs, right? Like mm-hmm. all of a sudden there's one system and another system comes in and it turns into like the perfect storm. Yep. Well, that's kind of what COVID-19 can do. So it does the respiratory problem, as we all know, but then it could possibly do the vasculature problem. And if you put those two together, then you're running into a whole plethora of problems, not just with breathing, but also with strokes, with clotting, uh, losing your kidneys, losing your uh, spleen, all of these types of things. So at the end of the day, we're learning about the mechanisms of how this is happening. But more importantly, we're beginning to understand how individuals become susceptible to these particular types of, um, you know, secondary or sequelae factors. And I think the more we know about that, the better off we're going to be when it comes to prevention and also for treatment. Right. Yeah. At this point, it's not something that you want to get. So be careful. No. <laughs> uh, follow the ABCs, of course, Jason, as you outlined. Also wear a mask. Uh, quickly, just want to touch on that. How are we doing with, with masks and, and what's the adherence rate when it comes to uh, people wearing them in the community? Is it, is it going to change? I think it's doing pretty well. And, and honestly, uh, just from my own anecdotal uh, in, at the end of July, I was going into places and it was haphazard. Some people were wearing them, some people weren't, some people had their noses out, some people had over their chins. It was kind of like, eh, I don't know if that's a good idea. Now everybody's wearing their mask. I don't see noses. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that context, the people who are essentially obeying or, or, or complying with the ordinances and the bylaws, it's going incredibly well. And we can show that that actually is having an effect because, again, when you look at the data, it's those people from 20 to 40 who are essentially making the majority of the cases. And also, we're not seeing any exponential rises. Yes, we're staying level in the terms of the number of cases, but by that same respect, it doesn't mean it means that we're, you know, not doing something that's going to lead to a massive community spread. And that's really where the masks are coming into play. OK, Jason, thanks so much for touching on this yet again with me. I appreciate your time as always. I'm sure that we'll talk again soon, but I will let you go as of as of now. And uh, and until the next time, stay safe. OK, hey, no problem. You take care. Yeah, you too. Bye.
Jason Tetro, of course, is a microbiologist. He's the host of Su- the Super Awesome Science Show uh, that you can find wherever you listen to podcasts. He's author of The Germ Code and The Germ Files.